Doctor Who, Short Trips, Dark Convoy, by Mark B. Oliver, read by Sophie Aldred. A flashing light cut through the darkness, reflecting dully off the frozen metallic surfaces. The sound of the TARDIS exiting the space-time vortex was drowned out by a howling wind and the roar of waves as they crashed over the side of the ship. Ace emerged from the TARDIS at a run and nearly walked into one of the tall wooden crates that abutted the time machine. She tried to edge her way around them, but as the ship rolled under her feet, she skidded across its icy deck. The Doctor's hand seemingly appeared out of nowhere, grabbing her arm as she flailed around. Ace! But the rest of his words were whipped away by the wind. He handed her a pair of gloves, which she gratefully put on. The ship pitched and rolled yet again in the heavy storm. This time managing to stay upright, she asked the Doctor where they were. It's hard even for my eyes to make out in the dark, but I'd say we're on a corvette. Ace almost laughed, but the cold air rushing into her lungs made it hard to breathe. Yeah, right, Professor, she wheezed. If we were in a fancy sports car, I think I'd have noticed. A ship, Ace. The Corvette class was designed by the Allies to protect merchant convoys from U-boats during World War II. World War II? This ship is on the Arctic route, delivering supplies to the Russians. How do you know that, Professor? Because, Ace, judging by the few stars I can see, it's mid-afternoon and nearly completely dark, so we must be far north. Doctor, for once I agree, Ace. No good can come from us being here. The Doctor turned towards the TARDIS, just as the corvette rolled ferociously under the onslaught of the heavy seas. They both lost their footing and careered across the deck, landing at the feet of an astonished sailor. He was young, no more than twenty, and although Ace struggled to make out his features in the poor light, there was no missing his bright red hair. The seaman helped them to their feet, and, cupping his hands around his mouth, he shouted for them to come with him. Ace glanced at the Doctor. They could make a break for the TARDIS, but it was now out of sight. The Doctor nodded at her, and she followed the seaman. As they made their way along, Ace found herself losing her footing several times, but the Doctor and the young sailor supported her. Soon she had learnt to bend her knees at just the right moment to maintain balance. As they entered the bridge, Ace was surprised to see that it was a small, cramped affair. Nothing like the Hollywood sets in the black and white movies her mum had watched on Saturday afternoons. Still, it offered protection from the raging elements outside, and it was certainly quieter. Three men were engrossed in their work. The coxswain was steering the vessel. The other two, who didn't initially register the presence of newcomers, were hunched over a chart table. The young redhead coughed slightly and saluted as the older of the two men stood and turned towards them. Sir, I found these two on the aft quarterdeck. The captain returned the salute. Thank you, Mayhew. And you don't need to salute me on the bridge. No, sir. Sorry, sir. Ace guessed that the captain was in his mid-forties, prematurely grey with tension etched in the lines on his face. The doctor stepped forward and shook the captain's hand. I'm the doctor, and this is my friend Ace. We'd just come aboard when Mr Mayhew found us. Well, we're very glad you made it. 
Turning to the younger, fair-haired man by the table, the captain said, That was good thinking, Sub, to lower the scrambling nets. Thank you, sir. Turning his attention again to the doctor, the captain introduced himself. I'm Lieutenant Commander Thomas Fitzgerald. You've met Seaman Mayhew, and this is Sub-Lieutenant John Harvey, he said, nodding to the blonde man. Over there is Petty Officer Phillips, our coxswain. Ace tried to keep a track of all the names and ranks, but gave up instead focusing on remembering Mayhew's name. You were damn lucky to reach the nets with us travelling at this speed, especially in these conditions. The doctor simply nodded by way of reply. We haven't spotted any of your fellow crew members yet, unfortunately. I'm sorry, but which ship are we on exactly? Asked the doctor. We became disorientated when we boarded. Of course, Fitzgerald replied. This is HMS Thunder. We were tracking Intrepid Ranger when we lost contact. Your signalman indicated that you'd struck ice before we lost sight of you. The ice in these waters is particularly treacherous, the doctor replied. How far apart has the storm spread the convoy? Difficult to say with zero visibility and the signalman being unable to reach any other vessels. Perhaps I can help you. The doctor moved over to the chart table and began emptying out his pockets. Now, I think I have here somewhere... A half-eaten toffee apple, some marbles, which promptly scattered over the floor as thunder rolled once more, and a paperweight were just a few of the items the doctor found before he came across what he was looking for. Eureka! I knew it was in there somewhere, Ace! She smiled back at him. What is it, Professor? The doctor held up a small bronze-coloured sphere. Patience, Ace, patience. All eyes, except for the coxswain who stared unwaveringly ahead, were on the doctor. Oh. If I just activate it, like so... The doctor's fingertips moved over the object's surface in an intricate pattern, causing a thin green light to glow at its circumference. Without warning, the light shot out from the globe in all directions, passing through the bulkhead before disappearing into the distance. Now, if we just position this above your chart and give it a second or two... The device hovered in mid-air. And a few seconds later, multiple green lights shot down from its lower half, pinpointing the location of the ships in the convoy on the chart. Incredible, murmured Fitzgerald. I knew you boffins down at Bletchley Park were working on some high-tech equipment, but nothing quite like that. I'm surprised that the Admiralty is allowing you to take it to Murmansk. The doctor tapped the side of his nose. Need to know, Captain, said the doctor, smiling warmly. Indeed. Sub-Lieutenant Harvey was studying the green dots on the map intently. Captain, if these green dots are accurate... Of course they are, said the doctor, somewhat indignantly. Then the convoy is spread out over roughly 150 miles. Fitzgerald and the doctor followed the sub's gaze. We're quite a few miles behind the stragglers. Fitzgerald reached for the voice pipe on the bulkhead. Chief, can we get anything more out of the engines? A hollow voice echoed up the pipe. I wouldn't recommend it, sir. She's struggling as it is. Thank you, Chief, said Fitzgerald, as he replaced the voice pipe in its cradle. Almost the instant it was replaced, a two-tone noise emanated from the communication device and Fitzgerald snatched it up again. Bridge! Fitzgerald listened intently before acknowledging the message and putting the voice pipe back in position. The Cali has spotted a German plane. Sub, do we know which ship on the chart is the Cali? Harvey leant forward, indicating one of the green dots on the map. This one, sir. Captain, the convoy has basically been split into two groups. 
said the doctor, stepping over to the chart and indicating with his hands the approximate groupings. I suggest you formalise that and proceed in two separate convoys. The Cali is in the group closest to this ship, so the vessels in this second larger grouping ahead can proceed at full speed without needing to wait for those behind them. It would reduce their exposure to the Germans, sir, added Harvey, as the doctor pocketed his gadget. Fitzgerald nodded. And hopefully allow us to protect the remaining ships. Good thinking, Doctor. Sub, have leading Signalman Hughes notify HMS Raven of the relative position of the ships. Take the chart down with you. They are to take command of the first group, while we will lead the second. Aye, sir. Oh, and Sub, as soon as you're finished with Hughes, resume your position on the forecastle. I still haven't given up hope of spotting more survivors from the intrepid ranger. As Harvey left the bridge, Ace leaned over to Mayhew and whispered into his ear, What's the forecastle? It's the area just forward of the bridge, miss, he replied quietly. It's where the officers look out to sea, and where our gun is. When you finish jibber-jabbering, Mayhew, Fitzgerald interjected as Mayhew visibly stiffened, take the doctor's companion below decks and give her some food and clean dry clothes. Yes, sir. This way, miss. Ace smiled at the doctor as Mayhew led her outside into the howling wind. Fitzgerald turned to his new advisor. Doctor, I'd be obliged if you'd stay on the bridge with me. We're a man down since my first lieutenant got himself swept overboard a week ago. The poor fellow, replied the doctor quietly. Such a terrible waste of a life. Ace wasn't sure if the rough sea was subsiding or if she was just finding her sea legs but she found it noticeably easier to navigate her way around the thunder. When Mayhew opened a hatch and indicated for her to go through, she did so almost nimbly, sliding down the ladder into the chatter-filled bowels of the ship. By the time Mayhew joined her, an eerie silence had descended as the assorted seamen, stokers and other hands stared dumbly at the new arrival. Come on, lads. That's no way to treat a lady, said Mayhew, addressing his comrades. This is Miss Ace. One of two survivors from the intrepid ranger. The captain says we are to afford her every courtesy. Lowering his voice, he turned to Ace. Sorry about that. We're not used to visitors, let alone girls. I'm not a... But thinking better of it, Ace asked him his name. Mayhew, he replied, as they walked through the mess. An appropriate term, thought Ace, seeing the clothes, food and men strewn around everywhere. (laughs) I knew that. I mean your first name, she laughed. Oh, Jimmy. But we all go by our surnames here. Well, except me and this one here, said Mayhew, as he gently kicked awake a sleeping sailor. This is Dennis. Say hello, Dennis. Uh, hello, Dennis, muttered the confused seaman as he rubbed his eyes. What are you doing waking me, Jimmy? You know I have to be back on duty and... But his mouth dropped open as he spotted Jimmy's companion. Hello, I'm Ace. What kind of a name is that? asked Dennis, still half asleep, and confused by the apparent apparition of a girl next to his bunk. Now, Denny boy, that's no way to speak to a lady. This lump and I grew up together, see, said Jimmy. When our street was bombed out, we signed up together. He's the nearest thing to family I've got. Despite the upbeat nature of his tone, there was no mistaking the sadness in his face for those they had both lost. Visibly brightening, he continued, Come on, miss, let's see what we have that will fit you. On the bridge, the coxswain was steering thunder on an intercept course for the rear group of ships. The doctor gazed out to sea. The storm's easing. About time, Fitzgerald replied. Hopefully we'll be able to make up some time. 
I don't like the convoy's flank being exposed like this. Sir? The voice came from within the Asdic compartment, which was down a short ladder from the bridge. Doctor, follow me, instructed Fitzgerald. We can track U-boats when they're underwater with our Asdic equipment. Yes, I'm familiar with it, Captain. The Americans are developing something similar. They're calling it sonar. As the Doctor and Fitzgerald reached the Asdic operator, he told them he'd heard a ping. Is it a U-boat? asked Fitzgerald urgently. It's difficult to say, sir. In these rough conditions and with the different layers of temperature... I need to know, Morris! May I? asked the Doctor calmly. Morris glanced at Fitzgerald, who said, Go ahead. With his captain's permission, Morris handed the Doctor the headset. Placing it over his ears, the Doctor listened intently. Rotate the head five degrees, he instructed. Five degrees? Aye, sir, replied Morris. It's definitely a U-boat. It's between us and the convoy. The doctor produced a pencil and notebook from his pocket, scribbling away. Tearing off a page, he handed it to Fitzgerald. Range and bearing, Captain. Without a word, Fitzgerald returned to the bridge. The doctor followed him, and Sub-Lieutenant Harvey joined them from the forecastle. Captain, men in the water, ten degrees to aft, he informed them. There's a U-boat ahead, Sub. If we slow down now to pick those men up, we'll lose the submarine. They won't survive much longer, sir. Thanks for the clothes, said Ace, now warm and dry as she slipped her badge-adorned jacket over the borrowed Aaron jumper. The least we could do, smiled Jimmy. Now, let's see what fine dining chef has to offer. It was only when he mentioned food that Ace realised how hungry she was. The small plate she was offered looked less than appetising, but she accepted it gratefully. Um, what is it exactly? It's. It's. Surely you must have had it's on the Intrepid Ranger. We ran out of fresh food days ago. This is my fifth run since I joined up. I'm rather partial to it's now. Tinned earrings in tomato sauce. It's. He smiled as he continued to eat his dinner. Despite her trepidation, Ace had to admit that, whilst most certainly an acquired taste, hits were filling. Their meal was disturbed as a call to action stations echoed around the ship. Immediately the mess was a blur of activity as the sailors responded swiftly to their captain's command. You better come with me, miss, said Jimmy, taking her hand as they made for the aft quarterdeck. They passed Dennis, who, as a stoker, was on his way to the engine room. Good luck, Denny, said Jimmy. Keep your head down, chum. I always do, called back Jimmy over his shoulder. On the bridge, Fitzgerald was torn by his duty to protect the convoy and the plight of the overboard men who would most certainly die if he didn't slow to pick them up. Captain, you could slow speed momentarily and drop a rowing boat to pick up the men, said the doctor. And circle back later to pick them up, encouraged Harvey. Fitzgerald nodded. Sub, slow speed to five knots and give sub fellows the order to send a rescue party after the men. As soon as that boat hits the water, I want us back up to 20 knots. Aye, sir. At least this way they have a chance, said Fitzgerald, however slim. Jimmy and Ace were on the quarterdeck, making their way to Jimmy's designated position. I thought you said you were a torpedo man, asked Ace. I am. So why? Thunder doesn't carry torpedoes, miss. 
My job is to assist with dropping the depth charges. Mayhew! shouted the silhouetted figure of Sub-Lieutenant Fellows at the depth charge rails. Survivors in the water. You're to take one of the aft rowing boats and collect as many as you can. Take Carpenter with you. Where is he? I haven't seen him, sir. I'll go with Jim... Mayhew, said Ace. I'm a strong swimmer, and I've done first aid. Well, you have Carpenter beat on both counts then. Right, go. Save those men. As quickly as they could, they made their way to the boat, and no sooner were they in it than Jimmy's colleagues were lowering it into the sea. The small boat cracked against the side of the ship and hit the water with an almighty bang. Immediately, Jimmy started rowing away from the ship's wake, which buffeted them around as if they were light as a feather. Using the binoculars that one of the sailors had given her, Ace scanned the horizon as the thunder increased speed and disappeared from view. Over there! she shouted, pointing to a group of five or more men in the icy water. Ryo! said Jimmy, and with Ace taking one oar and he the other, they made their way towards the stricken men. The atmosphere on the bridge was tense as HMS Thunder accelerated. Fitzgerald was on the voice pipe with fellows. Thank you, Sub, and be ready with the depth charges. The Doctor and Harvey were heading out to the forecastle as Fitzgerald addressed them. Doctor, could you stay here a moment? Sub, carry on. Aye, sir. Doctor, there's no easy way to tell you this, but your friend volunteered for the rescue party. She and Mayhew just left the ship. The Doctor's face fell. Oh, Ace, what is it with you and trouble? Right now, that rowing boat may be the safest place for her, if the U-boat spots us. As for you, we could use your expertise on the ASDIC. You're clearly much better at interpreting the signals than my best man. Of course. Of course. The doctor's voice trailed off, his mind still preoccupied with Ace, as they made their way down the ladder to the apparatus. Over here! Ace and Jimmy looked around, trying to see where the voice had come from. We can't see you! shouted Ace in reply. Keep shouting! A few other voices started yelling loudly. Ace and Mayhew's arms ached with the exertion of rowing in the heavy seas as they steered towards the stranded men. The doctor was sat at the ASDIC with the headset on. We're closing fast. She doesn't appear to have spotted us yet. He removed the apparatus and gave it to Morris. You can take over from here. I would prefer you to carry on, Doctor. Until we have a confirmed kill, Fitzgerald said. But the Doctor's eyes appeared to darken, his mood somber. Without uttering another word, he climbed the ladder back to the bridge. Fitzgerald followed, barking, Harvey, I need you at Asdick. Aye, sir. Spotting the tension between the two men, the sub-lieutenant was relieved to be out of the way. As he disappeared down the ladder, Fitzgerald turned on the doctor. Doctor, civilian or not, on this ship you obey my commands. Do I make myself clear? Perfectly, replied the doctor calmly. But like you say, I'm a civilian and not subject to the chain of command. In times of war, doctor. Yet something about the doctor's demeanour made Fitzgerald hesitate. Captain, your responsibilities are heavy and onerous, but clear. To protect the men on the ship and all those in the convoy. I have a much wider duty. If 
I interfere further, I could cause untold damage. How could your assistance here now do anything but help the war effort? My actions today, with time in a state of flux, may result in the one thing that cannot be allowed to happen. The Germans winning the war. The doctor looked directly at Fitzgerald. You must believe me. This is the best way, the only way, however incomprehensible it may seem. The force of the doctor's words and his pained expression shook Fitzgerald. I don't pretend to understand, Doctor, but I believe that you are sincere. Raising his voice, he called down to Harvey. Sub, I want constant updates on the position of the U-boat. Lifting the voice pipe, he instructed Sub-Lieutenant Fellows to be ready to deploy the depth charges. Ace and Mayhew were just a few feet from the three stranded men, who were clinging to what remained of an overturned raft. As they pulled the oars in, Ace moved over to the side of the boat closest to the men, while Mayhew tried to steady the craft. One of the men shouted out, Get Hughes on board first! He's in a bad way! It was easy to see which one was Hughes. He was being held up by the other two, and showed no signs of life. Gently, Ace, said Jimmy, as she reached down into the icy cold water and tried to haul him on board. The cold water stung her hand, and the man was incapable of pulling himself up. Jimmy! I need you over here! Jimmy inched across, careful to rock the boat as little as possible. If we grab his belt, we'll have something better to hold on to! Using their knees to brace themselves, they slowly dragged the man aboard. Ace covered him in a blanket and checked for a pulse. It was faint, but he was still alive. She reassured him as best she could that he was safe now not knowing if he could even hear her. He almost certainly had hypothermia, and one blanket wasn't going to help. Trying to force the thought from her mind, they manoeuvred closer to the two remaining men. The man that had shouted, Campbell, remained in the water as he helped his colleague, Donahue clamber aboard. A few minutes later, they were all in the comparative safety of the rowing boat. Are there just three of you? asked Ace, certain she had seen more men earlier. There were eight in the boat, but she was taken on water, Campbell told her as he shivered under a blanket. Three went under when we overturned. Orton and Gifford just drifted away when they couldn't hang on any longer. Ace's voice cracked as she replied, I'm so sorry. We rowed as fast as we could. I thought we were all gunners, said Campbell. It's a miracle you saw us at all. And now we wait, said Jimmy. With any luck. Thunder is still in one piece to pick us up. Harvey was hunched over Morris, who was listening intently to the echoes from the U-boat as the thunder closed in on her prey. Target moving quickly to the left, sir, said Morris. Target moving quickly to the left, repeated Harvey, for the benefit of the Doctor and Fitzgerald, who were outside on the forecastle, listening on one of the many voice pipes. Port 20, instructed Fitzgerald to the coxswain. Port 20, sir, he replied. Moving across to another voice pipe, Fitzgerald instructed Fellows to stand by on the depth charges. The Doctor was quiet as the men around him prepared the thunder to attack. Range 400, said Harvey his voice betraying his nerves. Range, 300. The whole ship seemed to hold its breath. Range, 200. Range, 100. Instantaneous echo, sir, reported Morris. 
Harvey immediately depressed the button that caused a klaxon to sound aft. Fire! responded Fellows, as the men around him released the depth charges from their rails. The next few seconds seemed to pass like an eternity before the depth charges exploded, causing water to surge skyward. The doctor pointed to an area of sea about 150 feet aft of the ship, where a pool of oil was bubbling up onto the surface. The men on board cheered at the sight as Harvey reported that the echo of the U-boat had been lost. Looking through his telescope, Fitzgerald eyed the oil carefully. He turned to the doctor. What do you think? The question is, Captain, what do you think? The oil must have come from the submarine. Oh, I don't doubt it. But... Coaxed the doctor, guiding Fitzgerald. But... There's no wreckage. No sign of hull fragments. Precisely, said the doctor, as though congratulating a star pupil. But we've lost Asdick contact as well. If the submarine dove down as it vented the oil, then it would be beneath the thermal layer, avoiding detection. We continue the search, declared Fitzgerald. Square box search pattern. All hands to remain at action stations. It had been several hours since the men had been pulled aboard the rowing boat, and Hughes hadn't uttered a word. His breathing was shallow and pulse faint. Ace, not knowing if he could hear her or not, quietly recounted some of the adventures she'd had with the Doctor, hoping that it would help him cling to life. Jimmy, Campbell and Donahue were all sleeping, when the explosions in the distance jolted them awake. Here's hoping that's your ship doing the firing, commented Donahue Riley. Jimmy and Ace exchanged nervous glances. We'll be fine, said Ace confidently. The doctor will come back. The doctor? asked Campbell. Miss Ace's friend, replied Jimmy. They were on Intrepid Ranger with you. We uh, kept to ourselves, cut in Ace. Well, lassie, we didn't get to hobnob with the officers, said Campbell. But at least we're alive, eh? On the Bridge of the Thunder, the Doctor was at the chart table. If we continue on our current heading, Captain, we should be in the approximate position of the rowing boat in about ten minutes. Even if we spot her, we'll never be able to pick her up at this speed, replied Fitzgerald. We'll have to slow to a stop while your men winch her aboard, the Doctor told him. Fitzgerald was horrified at the suggestion. We'll be a sitting duck if we stop. Any noise at all will give our position away to the U-boat. Yes, said the Doctor thoughtfully. We'll all have to be very quiet, won't we? The rowing boat started to rock from side to side with increasing ferocity, causing all of them, except Hughes, to cling to the wooden sides. The thunder emerged out of the darkness, slowing as she did so until she was alongside. Fellows indicated down to Jimmy to stay quiet and the young sailor immediately understood the meaning. They must be concerned that there's a new boat in the vicinity. Donahue, you stay on that side of the boat with Hughes. Ace, Campbell, the three of us will guide the boat up as we winch to board. Stop her smacking into the side of the thunder, giving our position away. As the delicate operation began, the crew of the thunder waited with trepidation. Inch by inch, the rowing boat was hoisted towards the aft quarterdeck of the ship. 
Ace, Jimmy and Campbell guided their fragile boat upwards, their hands desperately trying to stop it impacting the hull of the larger vessel. A gust of wind was nearly their undoing, but somehow they managed to hold her, and with one final pull, the boat was gently lowered onto the deck. Sweat dripped down the coxswain's back as he, the doctor and Fitzgerald waited for word from Fellows. Fitzgerald snatched up the voice pipe as the sub-lieutenant reported that the rowing boat was safely on board. And Ace? inquired the doctor. Safe and well, replied Fitzgerald to the doctor's evident relief. They picked up three survivors. They're being taken down to the mess hall. Fitzgerald ordered the ship to resume its search for the U-boat and the Thunder's engines burst into life as she powered forward. With your permission, Captain, I'd like to go below decks and see Ace. Of... But Fitzgerald's reply was cut short by Harvey from the Asdic compartment. We have an echo. Range 500. Bearing zero degrees. Call action stations. Fitzgerald warned fellows. Then he and the doctor ran to the forecastle. Spying two torpedoes speeding towards them, the doctor instinctively gave instructions to the coxswain to alter course by 15 degrees to starboard. Thunder responded, and the torpedoes missed her bow by a few yards. Fitzgerald said nothing, but the hand he placed on the doctor's shoulder spoke volumes. Range 100, said Harvey, as calmly as he could. Continuous echo, reported Morris. As the klaxon sounded aft, Fellow's men, including Jimmy, released more depth charges. A few seconds later, they exploded, and this time, wreckage floated to the surface. There was no doubting that the U-boat had been sunk. Before celebrations could begin, Ace spotted one of the torpedoes that had missed them a minute or so earlier, arcing back towards them. She shouted a warning to Jimmy and Fellows. It's gyroscope! Must be frozen! cried a horrified Jimmy. Fellows was running for the voice pipe when the torpedo struck amidships. He, Jimmy and Ace were thrown hard against the deck. On the bridge, cries of anguish could be heard from the voice pipes as the thunder listed heavily to port. Coxon, clear away the boats and rafts, but wait for my word before they are released. Aye, sir, said Phillips as he ran from the bridge. Fitzgerald moved swiftly to the voice pipe and ordered all men below decks to come up. The doctor was at his shoulder. It's time to leave, Thomas, said the doctor gently. I'll leave when I know the last of my men are safely in those boats. Go, doctor! Find Ace! As he ran for the hatch, the doctor looked back at Fitzgerald. It was an honour knowing you, Captain. And you, Doctor. Jimmy and Ace were helping fellows prepare the boats and rafts for launch. Amongst those they helped into one of the boats were Campbell and Donahue. Hughes? asked Ace. But Campbell just shook his head. The survivors were streaming onto the deck helping the injured towards the boats and comparative safety. Ace! cried the doctor as he frantically searched for her. She shouted a reply. Over here, doctor! Jimmy was scanning the men as they climbed into the flimsy vessels. I can't see Dennis! The thunder, now in her death throes, lurched heavily. As the doctor reached them, Jimmy ran for the hatch that led to the mess hall. Jimmy, no! screamed Ace as the doctor grabbed onto her. Dennis is all I've got left, miss! I'm not going to abandon him! Look after her, doctor! 
And with that, he was gone. We have to leave, implored the doctor. Jimmy! Jimmy! Ace screamed as the doctor dodged some flying debris and dragged her towards the TARDIS. Let me go! She tried to tear away from the doctor's grasp, tears streaming down her face. As instructed by his captain, Fellows ordered the release of the boats as the doctor pulled Ace inside the police box. The mast started to collapse and it crashed to the deck as the TARDIS dematerialised. yelled Ace inside the console room. Jimmy made his choice. He wanted to save his friend. And now, they're both dead, she sobbed. The doctor held her close as her tears soaked into his jacket. Whatever the fate of her crew, HMS Thunder was already light years away. Doctor Who, Dark Convoy, by Mark B. Oliver, was read by Sophie Aldred and is a Big Finish production.